0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Make a note of that if you're not a part of a Bible study already. Amen. Open your Bibles if you will. Romans chapter 7, so have you ever said to yourself, I am such a hypocrite, you ever, you ever just had that overwhelming feeling of guilt, um, condemnation, that, that, that thought of how could I have done this either again or just how could I have done this? Because isn't it, isn't it funny or amazing, I guess, how we can be like super spiritual, walking with God, doing the right things, you know, praying and reading the scripture and, and telling people about Jesus. And literally, within seconds, we can be in a place of sin. And we're like, how did I get here? You ever been there? You ever, you ever wrestle with that? Well, here's the good news and here's the bad news. The good news is you don't have to be overcome by sin. The bad news is, you will always fight that fight. Always. Until you step into eternity. You will fight the battle of the flesh. Paul speaks about this in Romans. In Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. The scripture tells us that this this flesh desire inside of us is a waging war. It's a war that is raging and it's a war that will not end until you see Jesus face to face. But you're also not condemned to always lose each and every battle. So if you can picture it this way, you are in a war right now between your flesh and your spirit. And that war has multiple battles and it's every day a battlefield. But there's coming a day when Jesus will call you to take your last breath and in that moment, that war will be over and that war will be won. Why? Because your body will be dead and you will be fully alive in Christ Jesus with him in his presence. But until that day comes, you and I are going to have to learn how to fight. You and I are going to have to learn how to wrestle with the flesh. So Romans chapter 7 verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual... But I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. Just listening, listen to those words. Listen to the imagery. Kind of, kind of picture this in your mind, what he's saying here. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that is living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to actually do it. I put actually in there. Verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one who does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. Are you confused yet? Does it sound like talking to a kid, right? So I discovered this law. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me a prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. I think verse 24 kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? What wretched man I am. What a wretched man that I am. You know, this is the state in which most of us live at either one time or another, or we kind of go in and out of it. It's this idea that our Hearts and our our, and our 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 minds want to love God. We want to do what is right, but the flesh is always there calling us to sin. Now there's a reason for that. So we are triune in nature. Now we have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are three persons in one, they are the same substance. That's a whole other message, but you understand that 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 they are they, they are the triune God, and we are made in God's image, and we have a mind, we have a body, we have a soul, right? And so our soul is what gets redeemed when we are born again through believing the gospel. So when God saves us, he, he gives us his own righteousness, we call that the imputed righteousness. That means we didn't earn it or deserve it. God gave his righteousness to us. He made us righteous in Christ Jesus. So that's the soul, right? That's who we are. But now on the other side of this is the body. The body is unredeemed, which means the body is very carnal. The, very, the, 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 the body is like a wild animal or it's like an animal, and an animal seeks to exist, to exist. An animal usually doesn't process through. Will this be kind? Will this be right? Will this be good? The animalistic nature is 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 very basic, and it and it's very um, uh uh, uh it, it's very spontaneous. So the flesh is like an animal. The spirit is redeemed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord and so we belong to Christ if we're a believer we belong to him and yet we still live in this body so you have a redeemed soul inside of an unredeemed body and in the middle there is the mind and so the mind is really where the battle is won or lost And we're not going to get too far into that part this week, we'll do that next week, but what I want you to see is this, if you are wrestling with sin, the temptation is either to ignore it or to let it control you and condemn you, and neither one of those is the correct response. The correct response is to understand that there is a war that is raging inside of us. And that war is won battle by battle in the mind by making the flesh subject to the will of God. How we do that is a whole other story. But let's go back and let's look at this. So verse 14 says this, For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. It gives you the idea that your flesh just wants to do what the flesh wants to do. It is very animalistic in nature. And he says, I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but what I hate. So in other words, he wants to do right, but he can't seem to help it. You ever feel that way? Like you really want to do right, but you can't seem to help it. Like, like you're out of control with the flesh. So that is actually not what's happening. It's not that you're out of control. It It's basically that the flesh is not subject to the control of a mind that is filled with Christ. And so there is this, this part of us where we can't. We can't not have those sinful desires, but we can subject them to the truth of the gospel in our life. Now, you say to me, How do I do that? I wish I had an easy answer. I wish I could just give you step one, step two, step three, but I really can't. Because this is something, this is like explaining um, love to a person. I mean, what, what words do you describe, use to describe love? It, it's a very, it, it's a concept that is out there that you can, you can use words and you can show examples. But it's kind of the thing where you have to just grow and learn what it actually is. This struggle inside of us is a lot the same way. I mean, we know certain things about it, but we also know that it's something that is a lifelong process gaining power over the flesh and subjecting the flesh to the work of the spirit inside of us. And so Paul says, I do not understand what I'm doing. It's not that he doesn't understand it. He does understand it. He's actually explaining it here. But what he's saying is I'm frustrated at it. I'm frustrated because I should know better. I, I should be more long than I am. You ever feel that way? Like you, you, you've been a believer for so long and like yet you do the same thing over and over and over. Maybe there's that one thing or that couple of things that just keep getting you back into a hole. And it's this cycle, isn't it? You're doing really, really well. Sin, sin creeps up in your flesh and you, you ease over to it. it it's, like, it's like a Twinkie for a dieter is what it is. Right? So you ever you ever really decided I'm gonna I'm gonna just hunker down on what I eat I'm only gonna eat good stuff if it's not grown in the earth I'm not putting it in my mouth well they grow Twinkies in the earth just saying eventually it comes from somewhere um, and so you you have this really good trajectory of being healthy and then you walk by and, and somebody bought a box of Twinkies you're like ah oh. nope you even use scripture at this one. You quote scripture. What do you what do you say? Get thee behind me, Satan! Right. That's the Bible verse that you always go to. And as you're walking by it, you're like resisting it, but it's staring at you, and you can actually hear the Twinkies calling your name. And so then you you just kind of walk over, and you, I'm just going to read the contents, right? So I'm just gonna just gonna see what's in here. See if there's anything good. Nope, nope, nothing good. Put it down and walk away. Then you walk by it again. I'm just going to look at the package and smell it. So you pull one out. Because and... you're thinking, if I just smell it, that'll be satisfying enough and I won't. Then you're just going to take a little bite, right? So you just take one little bite and your thought is, I want it so badly. I'm being so good. I'm just going to take one bite, set it aside. I'll be satisfied and then we'll all be good. That way everybody wins. You know the rest of the story, don't you? You take one little bite, and then it's another little bite before not before long. Not only have you ate the one Twinkie, but you've eaten the entire box. Can I get a witness, anybody? You put you put little cho- dark chocolates in front of me and that's me. It is a dangerous thing for me to have dark chocolate. Now, fortunately, my family doesn't like it cuz that means I get to eat it all. But it's it's this it's this sinister nature of sin. And what happens after you beat the whole box? You look at it and you go, I mean, you're, in, you're disgusted at yourself. You got wrappers all over. It's like this massacre of a Twinkie box. You're just, oh. And that is when the enemy jumps in. Look at you. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're a Christian, huh? Yeah. You're a hypocrite and the enemy starts to accuse because the Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And by the way, the Bible says he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's the father of lies, right? So all of the pit of hell comes out and all it was over was one simple glance at a box of Twinkies. And before you knew it. You are in the midst of being far from God. And even in that state, your heart is saying, but I love God. How could I be so stupid? Right? This is the battle that we're facing. This is life. What we want is for God to take away the temptation. I think... I think I'm sure of this. I'm not entirely sure. So I'm I'm careful to say it. But I think that when we pray that God would fix this. I think that what he says to us is. I'll fix your heart. And I can fix your mind. But I've given you your heart and your mind to fix the body. That's why the temptation is always there. Because, again, I hesitate to say this because I'm still really kind of wrestling with it. But, but, but as far as I can tell, the body is in our domain. It's what we have to deal with. Now, sometimes God is able to just do things and, and thanks to his grace he does. But for the most part, that's what you and I have to deal with. Why or how? We deal with it by subjecting our mind To live by the Spirit to match the redeemed nature of who we actually are in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So he says, now if I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So in other words, my actions prove that there is this fight inside of me. My actions demonstrate that I am wrestling... With what is good, that is that God has declared these things are good and these things are not good. And so I, I kind of prove it in my own actions. So I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. It's this animalistic flesh that is, that is running wild inside of me. I, I like to picture it this way, the, the, the struggle this way. So I have three dogs. We have three dogs. Actually, I have three dogs. Nobody likes them but me. So we have a black lab. We have a Jack Russell. And then I... Yeah, this was a touch... I just remember this was a touchy subject. So if you see my wife starting to get a little you know, antsy, it's because I think it's still sore. But you know, truth is, she really loves this dog now. Because just trust me, she does. Um, but I decided one day I wanted a, a, a rabbit dog and a beagle. And I surprised her with a beagle. <laughs> not a good idea, by the way. Do not show up with a dog... And put it in the backyard and not tell your wife. So I actually played it off. I'm terrible. I really did. I was like, what? There's a do- an extra dog? How'd that happen? And, and, and I, just, I just legit lied about it. I'm just going to be straight up. I lied about it. I was like, I have no idea how that beagle got there. That was not the right move, I just got to tell you. Because when I finally told her, no, I brought this dog home, oh, she was not happy. But but I created a problem, and the problem was my lab and my Jack Russell. I had trained that they would only eat when they're allowed to eat. So I'd tell them to sit; they would sit. I'd put the food in their bowls, and they would just sit there. And I would wait until uh, I, I thought it was a good. You know, I wanted them to understand. Hey, I don't want. I don't. They don't need to be bad dogs. They need to be respectful dogs. And so I'd say, "Okay, Bailey, go ahead. Honey, go ahead." And then they would eat. Sometimes I would wait a long time and you'd see them go. And and they would put their nose right on the food, but they wouldn't eat it. Cuz like they were trained to do what I said to do. Truly it was just a power trip. That I'm sure that's what it was. And so they would they would put their nose on the food, then they'd look up uh, They look down, and every now and then they just kind of go like this. They go, okay, this is too tough. And I tell them to eat, they would eat. So adding this extra dog, though, was not the right thing. Because this dog grew up in a kennel full of hunting dogs. She was one of probably 12 or 15 beagles, and they had one giant bowl of food. And so the way the owner fed them was, he would dump food into the bowl, and he would shut the door, and they would just go at it. I mean, just everybody and whoever didn't get to the bowl didn't get fed. Well, that's the way this beagle was in her nature. She was very, very aggressive with needing to eat. And so these other two dogs, when they would sit and wait, the third dog would start eating their food, which made them start getting. And so I created this massive problem. And when I look at that, it describes perfectly the the struggle in your heart and in mine when it comes to sin, doesn't it? We want to do what's right. We want to listen to the Father. We want to please Him. And yet, somehow we feel like the the food is calling us and driving us to do it. Almost to where we have no control over it. But that's actually not true. You do have control. And that control comes through a mind that is subject to... To Christ. It's what the Bible means when it says, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the reason for living by the Spirit is because the flesh brings forth death, but the Spirit brings forth life. I'm jumping into next week, so I'm not going to do that. So, verse 18 tells us why this is the case. Verse 18 says this For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. The reason you wrestle with sin, the reason I wrestle with sin, is because nothing good lives in our flesh. Nothing good. It is indeed very carnalistic in nature, we're depraved. Now, we sometimes don't realize this. Sometimes we think that we might be bad, but not real bad. We think that we might be desperate, but not totally desperate. But if you look through the Scripture, if you look through the, through the Gospels, if you look through Romans, what you will find is a, is a picture of who you and I really are in our, in our, left to our own devices. You and I are completely, utterly, desperately desperate. And we are sinful at the very core. Now, that's not something that likes to be heard nowadays, is it? We like to say things, oh, you're just, man is basically good. They just go off the rails every now and then. But that's not what the Bible says about the human heart. The Bible says that the human heart, the heart is deceptive above all else. That means in your heart of heart, you are, you, are, you are sinful. I am sinful. You say, well, why would you say that? Well, it's because what the Bible says. Here's why this is important. Because if you think there's any good in you, you're still probably relying upon a little bit of God's grace rather than recognizing that you are totally dependent upon all of God's grace for any salvation at all. You did not do one single iota of, In order to earn your salvation. You can't work for it. It's not like a 50-50 proposition. It's not like you do 1%. God does the other 99. God has rescued you from the pit of hell. Solely and completely by his grace. Expressed through the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was totally and completely his. You had no part in that at all. In terms of your goodness. In how much you need it is grace. That's important because 1% of goodness tends to puff us up in pride. Thinking that we're better than we really are. And it tends to lead us to look at other people in some sort of a pharisaical view. I've discovered in my own life that the more I realize how much I need Jesus. The more I start loving people the way he loves them too. It's not easy to love somebody else if you think you're better than them. And I'm not talking about maybe even consciously thinking I'm better than them. It, it's the whole idea of, I'm not that bad. They're really bad. No, they're really bad and you're really bad too. I'm really bad. I'm so bad, I was going to make a stupid joke and I didn't. I just want you to know, I you know I'm bad. I'm just, okay, that's... Yes. I, I did anyways, I can't that's the flesh. That's an, exact, an example of what I'm talking about. The flesh just wants to come out. But so, so it's, this, it's this understanding that the flesh is the flesh because there's nothing good inside of me. The only good that there is in me comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, here's where that leads us. If I know that I'm truly depraved, if I know that I'm truly a dirty, rotten scoundrel, when I look and see what God has done in me, there's an overwhelming sense of thankfulness. There is an overwhelming sense of obligation. Not obligated to pay back what God has done, but obligated to be grateful in obedience for what God has done. God t- took me from a place of desperation and he made me a child of the most high king. He gave me a name, he gave me a position, he gave me a place. He rescued me in such a way that it, that it was dramatic and so because of those things, I'm not going to be a spoiled, selfish, rotten uh, uh, a child of God. I'm going to live as an appreciative, thankful Child of God. And all that I do, all that I have will be given back to Him because I recognize that all that I have is from Him in the first place. This is a different way of living. It's a different mindset, but it's what the Bible says that is actually the way we're supposed to live. And here's the cool part the more you're relying upon grace, the less you're striving to be someone or to prove something or, or or any of those other things we strive for, there is a certain amount of settledness in your soul, and there's a peace that happens because you know that where you are is not because what you did, because of what God did, and totally because of that, you're thankful. So, Paul says, "Nothing good lives with me in me. That is the flesh." For the desire to do what is good is in me, but there's no ability to do it. Now listen, he's not saying there that there's no ability to control the flesh. Because we'll find out that there is an ability to control the flesh. What he's saying there is, in my own, in my own doing, I can't control the flesh. Apart from the spirit at work in me, I can't control the flesh. I can't do anything to fix this. Only God can fix it. And the way God fixes it is by me yielding to that grace and to his spirit and his presence in my life. That is the key to overcoming the flesh. It's yielding on a daily, hourly basis to the spirit of God in your life. So if you continue through this, he, he, he kind of goes back and he says the whole argument once again. Verse 22 says, I discovered this law when I want to do what is good, evil is staring me down in the face. He sees a different law in the parts of his body. It is waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Now, again... He's making this argument saying, this is how bad it really is. This is how desperate you really are. But there's hope. This is a condition that you are in apart from God's grace. But wait, there's more. So the wait, there's more is this. So he says, taking me prisoner. And then what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me? Chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, you are living as a free man or a free woman in a body that wants to hold you hostage and prisoner. It's it's not just a matter of believing it in your mind, but that is part of it. It's understanding who you are and what God has done. See, the reason that we oftentimes wrestle with this thing about about sin, that, oh, how, how can I get in this position? Well, how could you even think that you could not ever get in that position? I mean, think about it. If you know who you are, then it makes sense. Of course I got in this position because I stepped apart from being controlled by the Spirit and I started being controlled by the flesh. So it shouldn't be a surprise. It should be, well, of course. I need to come back over and I didn't need to yield to the Spirit of Christ in my life. But again, it's not like you set it and forget it. It is a constant daily struggle. You wake up, you yield to the gospel in your life. You go through the day, you yield to the Spirit of God in your life. As you lay down your head in in bed, you yield to God's Spirit. Now, let me make a note, though. When you lay down to sleep, at least for me, oftentimes I'll just go through, Lord, where did I fail you today? Where did I offend your law? Where did I sin? Reveal these things to me so I can confess them because I want us to be right. Now, Shannon and I deal with conflict differently. I I get over conflict very fast. Like I can go, yeah, okay, fine. We're good. I mean, I I don't have to have this this long repentance. I don't need you to write out a letter. I mean, I just, yeah, you know what happened. Let's, Let's get over it. That's not the way she is, right? Like whatever offense there is, it's like, okay, until we deal with this, I don't care how far we go down the road, I'm gonna remember this because I've been offended. Now, just curious, how many of y'all are like me? Quick. Okay? How many of y'all are like Shannon? Look around, see? So so it's not like a right or wrong, it's just kind of the way we're wired. But here's the thing: when I'm I'm asking God to forgive me at night, to reveal to me, hey, what is it that's wrong in my life? Where have I, where have where have I offended you? Where have I not done right? I'm not asking because that sin is separating me from God in such a way that I've lost my position in Christ. So in other words, when I sin, it doesn't make me in danger of of hell. So when the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That that verse is not saying that every time you sin, you have to go back and ask forgiveness for that sin so that that sin will be forgiven. Because your sin is forgiven. Everything you have already done, everything you will do. And everything that is in the future, all of that sin, the penalty of that sin, has been paid for at the cross. So to become the righteousness of God in Christ means that you are you have a right standing with God when that relationship is begun. So when you're confessing your sin, it's not so that you can be saved again. So you don't have to worry about what if I'm in a crash and just before the crash I say a cuss word... And I don't have a chance to ask for forgiveness before I go through the windshield. And so now I'm going to go to hell. That's not the way it works. Could you imagine living that way? No, you are right with God because God has made you right with him through what Jesus did on the cross. And it's by grace you're saved through faith. But we confess our sin because that sin, it doesn't change our status, but it does change the relationship. Not the, not the, the um, kind of relationship, but the closeness of the relationship. So my children will be my children no matter what they do. There will never be a time where my son or my daughters can say, I am no longer your son. They can say it, but they will always be my son or my daughters. They cannot change that. Why? Because they were born of me and their mom she did most of the work that's why when in john 3 it says you must be born again if you are born again you are born of god and so you belong to god the father but when we sin we're 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 chipping away at the nature not the nature but at the closeness of the relationship so i confess my sin to make sure that We can look eye to eye with nothing between us. So with Shannon, in order for her to sleep at night, we have to actually go through the whole thing. I mean, I say that jokingly, but it's true. I mean, we got to, I'm going to eat these words. What am I doing? (laughs) But it's right. And And then once we do that, she's like, okay, I can sleep. And she sleeps like a baby. But if we don't make that right, She'll wake up in the morning mad because she hadn't slept. And she'll be like, you slept fine, didn't you? 30 seconds after we talked, I was good. When it comes to God, though, he's more like us. We're more like that. Our relationship will not be right if we have unconfessed sin before God. But when we come before him, we often come before him with with this saying... Oh, man, a joke. Oops, I did it again. We come before and we say, I I, I did it again. And there's actually a lot of shame in that, isn't there? We come before God and we say, God, I don't know why. Why am I so stupid? And, And God's not God's not in that moment trying to condemn you. What he's doing, he's saying, let's get to the root of the why. What's going on in your life that causes you to return back over and over and over? Let's deal with that because that's the real issue in your heart. And you know what? Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that a lot of times the sin is not the problem. The root of the sin, the belief that's wrong, the thought process that's wrong, the, the, the brokenness that's wrong, the bitterness, whatever it might be, that's really the problem. It's just manifesting itself through a particular expression of sin. So when you go back to the core and say, hey, this is what I deal with, that is when this verse really comes to, to play. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. So we have just a few moments left. I want to I wanna give you an example, a biblical example of somebody who wrestled with the flesh probably as much as anybody else in Scripture. Now we all wrestle it, but one of my heroes in the Scripture is Peter. In Luke chapter 5, we see how Peter was called. Peter was fishing with his brother and um they had fished all night long. They were on the shore with their boats and they were cleaning their nets. They had done a horrible, they didn't catch anything. And Jesus just kind of walks by him and gets in Peter's boat. And he says, hey, will you push out from shore? And I imagine, I would like to imagine what it would be like. I'm thinking Peter's just kind of watching Jesus walk and like get in his boat. And I'm thinking he's going, dude, seriously? I'm right here. Do you not see me? And then Jesus said, push out from the sword. So he goes, well, okay. Pushes out and Jesus begins to teach. Don't know what he taught, but I think what he taught was, was, was something that was attractive to Peter. I think it was something that, that that sparked life inside of this. I'm just imagining this. I think it's something he goes, wow. I've never heard anybody talk like this before. This is amazing. And then Jesus tells Peter and his brother, says, hey, go ahead and go fishing again. Set out your nets. And Peter's response is, we've been fishing all night because you don't fish during the day because they can see the nets. The sun is up and they won't come into them. You fish at night, so they blindly go in. We've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing, but because you say so, we'll do it. So that's why I believe something he said captured him in some sort of way. So they push their boats off, they drop their nets, and they catch so many fish that they have to call their buddies, hey, come and help us get this fish in. Right, so this miraculous catch of fish here. They pull the boats to shore, and Jesus says to Peter and his brother, come follow me. And from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. And the very next verse says, and immediately they left their nets to follow him. Here's what I want to say to you. That was the beginning, the written beginning of Peter following Jesus. I can bet you a billion dollars. He had no idea what he was getting into. When Jesus said come follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. I promise you he was not thinking. You know I've been learning Christian witnessing training. And I've been learning the Romans road. So I'm looking forward to an opportunity. To go share the gospel with other people. They didn't know what the gospel was. They had they were clueless. They he, he didn't know what it meant to fish for men. He just knew that this man spoke words of life, just created a miracle, and so, hey, why not follow him? And then if you follow the life of Peter, what you'll find is he's very rough around the edges. You remember the time when Jesus was in the garden and the the soldiers came to arrest him, and so Peter looks around and he thinks to himself, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I know. I'll cut off a servant's ear. That was strange. Actually, it's probably a skill set that he lacked. He wasn't a sword fighter. He pulls out his knife and he cuts off the dude's ear. Ear flops to the ground. I don't know if it flops. I mean, I, I'm, 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 you know, Monty Python here in my head. I'm thinking this, this, this ear is just flopping on the ground. And so Jesus then reaches down, grabs it, and he puts it back on the man. I mean, what, just, that would have been awesome to see. That would have just been incredible. And then he turns to Peter and what does he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh. I think it's safe to say that Peter not only had rough edges, but he wrestled with the flesh. If that's not wrestling with the flesh, I don't know what is. And then the next scene or a few scenes after that, we have Jesus. After he was, tri- uh, after he was um, um, arrested, you have Peter in the courtyard, trying to get a peek, an idea of where he is. And this girl comes by, hey, you were with Jesus. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I'm not one of his disciples. And then the next time, no, I'm not one. And then he began to curse and swear, of course I'm not one of his disciples. And the Bible says in that moment, the rooster crowed and he looked and Jesus and him locked eyes. One of the most dramatic Scenes in all of scripture, I think. And as they locked eyes, this guilt and this shame just flooded Peter's soul. And the Bible says that he went out and wept bitterly. Have you been to that point in your life? I'm not certain, but I think that was a defining moment in Peter's life. Again, this this, this is not a biblical command, but I'm saying in my own life, experientially... Those kinds of moments where I fail God or I do something that I just can't believe. Those are kind of these stakes in the stands or or, or in the sand or those marks in the ground that are kind kind of monumental. And it's this pivot or this shift in my life. And I can look back and I say, that monstrous failure will eventually produce fruit. Because out of that, I will see not only God's grace... But I will also see God's kindness, his goodness, and I'll realize that I need God more than I've ever realized I've needed him before. Fast forward. Jesus died, buried, resurrected. He comes to Peter and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Now, I'm not certain, but if if it were me as Peter, I would be thinking, well, I thought I loved you until I denied you three times. Now, by the way, you remember Peter's the one that stood up in the upper room and said, look, if all of these men fall away from you, not me. I'm your boy. I got you. I will never fall away. Do you understand me, Jesus? I got you. Talk about a guy who was confident in his own self and didn't realize that his flesh was utterly. decrepit and broken. So Jesus said. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Again, do you love me? (laughs) Yeah. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Again, feed my lambs. And of course, you know, if you go into the Greek, there's different words there. But the point of it is this. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked him, do you love me? How many times? Three times. The little tiny ways God demonstrates His goodness and His grace to us is amazing. If you fast forward into Acts chapter 1, Jesus is with His disciples and He says, hang out in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will then go forth with power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. So there in the upper room there, In Jerusalem, about 120 of them. And God gives them his spirit. And Peter becomes a different person. Why? Because the spirit changes everything. If you live by the flesh, you will do the things of the flesh and it will lead to suffering and death. If you live by the spirit, it will always lead to life and supernatural works of God through you and in you that only God could do. If you fast forward in the rest of Acts, you'll find time after time again that Peter did not act like the Peter of old, but the Peter of new. And so this is where I want to land today. You are in this room because God brought you here. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit inside of your life. If you have give, been given the holy spirit that means you have been given the power of god to overcome the flesh but you must I hate this word but you must activate you must you must live by the spirit in order for the spirit to overcome the works of the flesh and what that means is you've got to yield to god On a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment basis. Now, how you do it, I don't know how to tell you that. You just got to do it. But I can also tell you, and here's the hope, or here's the truth. Where you started is not where you will finish. Because of the sanctifying work of God inside of your life. So don't be frustrated that I am such a sinner. Well, yeah, you are. But if you know Jesus, you're also redeemed and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a it's a dual way of looking at it. I know who I was and I know what the flesh is, but I also know who God is and what he's done inside of me. That. Hopefully. Will continue in your life until at some point. God will take you into glory. And at that moment, here's the cool part. There is a resurrected body that is not a sinful, unredeemed body. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because all of this stuff we deal with here, we're not going to have to deal with it on the other side. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. I do pray that... The next few moments would be meaningful, but they would also be um, significant. Father, let this cup be significant in our lives today. We don't take this lightly. In Jesus' name.